0: Good morning. Uh, If you'd like to open your church Bibles to page 724, uh, Isaiah, and we're chapter 40 and verse 1. Comfort for God's people. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem And proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for her sins. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for your God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level and the rugged places a plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all people will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, Cry out. And I said, What shall I cry? All people are like grass. And all their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of, the, of God endures forever. You who bring good news to Zion, go up to the high mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, "'Lift up your voice with a shout, lift it up, do not be afraid. "'Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. "'See, the sovereign Lord comes with power, "'and he rules with a mighty arm. "'See, his reward is with him, "'and his recompense accompanies him. "'He tends his flock like a shepherd. "'He gathers the lambs in his arms "'and he carries them close to his heart.' He gently leads those that have young. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Wonderful, Debbie, thank you so much. Um, It's good to be with you this morning. It's good to be sharing on uh, joy. As Will said, my name is Tom, if you don't know me, and I uh, help to lead the church here now. I wonder what is your greatest achievement? What is your greatest achievement? Is it? Have you ever run a marathon? Some people may have run several. Have you watched the entire back series of Friends back to back, all all ten series? Have you made it to the 10th of December without hearing "Last Christmas" by Wham? Hopefully, I haven't spoiled your game. If you have, turn to your neighbour. What's your greatest achievement? 30 seconds. Good stuff. I am looking forward to hearing everybody's greatest achievements later on over coffee. Let me tell you what my greatest achievement was. Um, it came on the very last day um, of my school kind of career, on my last day of sick form. Um, on the very final day, I turned up to the annual school athletics championships, assuming that I was going to be a spectator. But much to my surprise, I found that I had been entered for the 110 metres hurdles, now, that was a great surprise to me because I'd never run a hurdles race before. I'd never even so much looked at a hurdle before, uh, apart from on TV. Um, so I'm not quite sure how it happens, but given that it was over 25 years ago, you might have an idea of the imprints it made on me that I can still vividly remember um, standing on a starting line. It was a bit like this scene here, if you picture it standing on the starting line in my borrowed kind of uh, athletics kit that i hadn't come come prepared with hearing the crowd shouting and feeling utterly terrified at these 10 massive barriers in front of me that i knew i would have to get over i'm not kidding when i say they are high they're nearly 4 feet so that's basically two thirds of my entire height was hurdle. So I had to get over that ten times. They may have well it may as well have been ten Mount Everest to me. They were ten insurmountable barriers between me and the joy and relief of getting to the finish line. I just remember thinking I'm gonna pull a hamstring even trying to get over the first one, let alone all ten. And in the end, I ran the race, and somehow, by a miracle of miracles, I managed to come third. And before you ask, before you ask, thank you, (laughs) before you ask, it wasn't third out of three. So I'm sticking to the story that I got the bronze medal. There were six people in the race, just to be clear. But I know, I think it was just beginner's luck, because I know if I faced that scene again, if I had to stand on the start line again and look at those hurdles, I would feel just as terrified today as I did 25 years ago. I wonder uh, this morning if you can relate to that feeling. If you can relate to that feeling of looking down the track and seeing insurmountable barriers standing between you and joy genuine true joy for many of us life is hard isn't it there's stress there's anxiety there's sickness there's fear there's shame and these are all what seem to be insurmountable barriers between us and true joy and what do you think God makes of that do you think he cares is he distant Well, today, I would love to encourage you, because in this text from Isaiah that we heard read to us earlier on, we are going to find a God who will flatten every hurdle, who will level every mountain, who will make a way through the ocean for us to experience true joy. So let's keep our Bibles open. If you're not there, do turn with me to page 724. We're going to be in Isaiah 40. And we, through this Advent season, we're exploring the book of Isaiah. Isaiah was a prophet that lived two and a half thousand years ago. Uh, And as Will explained last week, around this time, God's people were in a total mess. Um, They had taken God for granted. They were soaking up all his blessing without accepting that there came some responsibility with that. They were being selfish. They were being greedy. They were being corrupt. They were taking advantage of the weak and the poor and just getting richer and fatter. At the expense of others. And after countless warnings from God, God's people finally have to face the consequences of these years and years of bad behavior. They are conquered by a foreign nation, Babylon, they're taken off into exile, and they lose everything. They lose their country, their home, their lives, their money, their family, everything they know and love. And they end up doing this, basically living in this place for 70 years. So Isaiah here is commissioned by God to speak to these people whose world has been completely shattered. They've lost everything. So that's why in verse 1, this is what Isaiah says, what God says through Isaiah. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. So then, what words of comfort can possibly speak to those horrific circumstances? What can God say to a truly desperate people to give them joy? Well, Let's explore together two words of real, tangible comfort that were spoken by Isaiah then, 2,500 years ago, but that we, this morning, we can receive that same comfort as we read today. And the first word is this, your past can be restored. Your past can be restored. Now, in the Bible, we come across the word sin quite a lot. It's not a word that we really use outside of the church very much, is it? Um, But it covers all kinds of mess-ups and mistakes, so from really small to really big. But really, at its heart, sin is when we say to ourselves, I know better than God. I've got a better plan for my life, and I'm just going to run with that. Don't care about the consequences for me, for God, for anybody else. I know best. And for God's people in Isaiah, we've said it was greed and selfishness for them. But for us, it could be different. It could be the way that we treat others. It could be our friends, you know, the way we treat our family and those around us. I know myself. I make so many mess-ups every day. Decisions I make, I often just think about myself instead of thinking about the people around me. And it breaks my relationship with God. That's what sin is. So how does God deal with this great mountain of sins that his people have been committing over years and years and years and centuries? Well, look with me at verse 2 in our passage. Isaiah says, Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Now, I'm a father of four children, so I understand acutely the need to be scrupulously fair in everything from rewards to punishments. The other day, we were playing a nice family game of Cluedo that got very competitive very quickly. uh, And I ended up sending both my oldest two kids, Jess and Ella, to their rooms because it was getting out of hand. (laughs) And then... Uh, you know, for 10 minutes, and then um, I happened to call one of them down before the other one. And before you know it, Jess was like, But you sent me to my room for 10 minutes, and Ella only had 8 minutes and 45 seconds. <laughs> so, how is it fair then for God's people here to receive a double punishment for their sins? You see that. She has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. How's that fair? Well, the thing is it's not about fairness. If it was, then God's people would be in real trouble, because they'd be in exile forever. And actually, it's so much better than fair, because when we read here in this text that God has given them double for all their sins, actually, it doesn't quite get to the root meaning of it. It's not meaning double for all their sins, it's saying God doubles up. Let me show you, okay? So if this here, this scarf, if this represents how bad their sin was, okay, the people, how bad their selfishness was. Then God says, well, this should be really, rightly, just punishment. This should be also the same consequences. As the as Punishment should match the crime. The consequences should be the same length as the sin. But I don't want you to have to endure that. So I'm going to double it over. Do you see? It's not doubling, it's doubling it over. He's saying, oh, I love you so much, I don't want you to have to endure all of the the severity of the punishment that I should give you for your sin. So I'm going to double it over and make it less, because I love you. And that promise stands for us today. Whatever you have done, whatever messed up decisions that you've made in your life, however ashamed or guilty you feel, however many centuries of sin you feel like you've built up, if you come back to God, if you say sorry and ask him into your life, just like his people then, your sin is paid for. Receive God's word of comfort this morning. He loves you enough to restore your past. So that's the first word, your past can be restored. The second word of comfort that we're going to see today, your presence can be reclaimed. Look with me at verses 3 and 4. Isaiah says, In the wilderness... Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level and rugged places a plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed. And all the people will see it together. I wonder if you've ever met a queen or a king, a monarch. I never have. But last year, my wife Megan, at her work, met um, the Princess of Wales she came to visit the maternity unit at the hospital where uh, Megan works. And in, in the days leading up to the visit, uh, Megan tells me that the princess's exact route around the hospital was planned out to the nth degree. They knew exactly where she was going to go. And you might imagine, as you might imagine, um, the cleaning rotor for every one of those corridors and halls was doubled for those few days leading up to the visit. Every pothole in the car park was filled in. Every leak in every bathroom was fixed, just in case you needed the toilet at that moment. That's what you do when a royal guest is on the way. You know, my father-in-law likes to joke that everywhere the, uh, the king thinks that every room he goes into smells of fresh paint, because that's the world he lives in. <laughs> the world smells of fresh paint. And that's what Isaiah's language is meant to evoke here. There is a royal visitor on the way, so everything needs to be ready. But there's a difference here. Do you see it? There's a difference. Because in our world, when the king is coming, we have to scrub up, don't we? We have to you know, put on our best suits. We have to turn up our smiles and make sure you know, we've, um, we've cleaned everything in the lead up to the king coming. But in Isaiah's picture, it's the king who gets things ready to meet us. And here, it's not little potholes in the car park. It's whole valleys that are filled in. Mountains are going to be flattened, rough ground leveled out. A road is going to be cut through the rugged terrain. This isn't just any royal visit. This is the creator of heaven and earth. This is the king of the universe saying that he will stop at nothing to come and be with his people in their most desperate time of need. Thousands of miles from home, having lost everything, God is reassuring his people that, there, that there's no barrier that can possibly stand in his way to him being with them. There is no hurdle that can get in the way. Not mountains, not valleys, not governments, not enemies. And right here, right now, your creator king says the same thing to you. There is no hurdle in your life so big that he cannot sweep it out the way to get to you. Nothing can prevent you from knowing his love. Not sickness, not addiction, not fear, not anxiety, not shame, not even death. You don't just have a God who loves you enough to restore your past. You have a God who is powerful enough to reclaim your present. And that doesn't mean, you know, it doesn't mean that life gets easy all of a sudden. Everything gets sorted overnight, we just get healed and healthy and everyone's happy again. We still live in a broken world, but it does mean that if you invite him in, you have a God who levels mountains and fills in valleys to be with you in whatever you are going through. So, your past can be restored, your present can be reclaimed, and that's all well and good, isn't it? But how do we know that's true? How, how, do we, how do we receive that? Because when we stand on the blocks, you know, like me, those years ago, we look down the track, we see all the hurdles that stand between us and joy. Our sickness, our selfishness, our shame. How can we be certain that this God has enough love and enough power to get to us? Well, this morning, we can be certain because Isaiah tells us that he's already done it. Because if we circle right back to the beginning of our reading in verse 2, read it again. God says to Isaiah, Proclaim to Jerusalem that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for. And it's that phrase, paid for, that's really important here. Because I don't know about you, but that makes me feel a bit anxious That makes me feel a bit fearful, because if something's got to be paid for, you know, I've got to get my wallet out. I've got to do something. It makes me afraid. I believe that God can restore my past, but like God's people then, surely there's a price to pay for it. You know, he might halve my punishment, but I've still got a pretty long list. What is my 70 years going to be like? Well, here's where we get to the really good bit, because actually that's not what Isaiah is getting at. Because when we read, her sin has been paid for, there in the text, the meaning in the original language in the Hebrew that it was written in is actually closer to, her sin has been joyously paid for. I love how um, the New Living Translation of the Bible puts it. It says, tell her that her sad days are gone and her sins are pardoned. In other words, the price of our sins isn't ours to pay. You see, Isaiah is pointing here to something much bigger than, you know, God's people being freed from exile in a foreign country. He's pointing to the greatest royal visit that the world has ever known. He's pointing 600 years into his future and 2,000 years into our past. He's pointing to a manger in Bethlehem and he's pointing to a cross in Jerusalem. He's pointing to the coming of a king who would free all his people through all time, through all history. He's pointing to Jesus. Jesus was fully human and fully God. And he was the only one who could truly pay the price of our mistakes. The king came to earth at Christmas 2,000 years ago to give us a way back to God. And coming back to that illustration, do you remember the length of our sin? Because of Jesus, God just doesn't double it over. He doesn't double it over again. But he doubles it over again, and again, and again, until it's gone. Because Jesus was innocent and executed, the price of our sins has been paid and not just paid but joyously paid as the text tells us you know there's a phrase isn't there when somebody goes to prison um, it's said that they're serving time at his majesty's pleasure well the tables are turned here because our majesty's pleasure is to release us not to imprison us for me I discovered this to be true 20 years ago when I went away to a Christian conference and about five years before that, I'd taken a really bad decision in my life. Um, it was just so awful, and the consequences in my head were so significant um, that I just couldn't, I couldn't be forgiven. I couldn't see how I could be forgiven. And it became this insurmountable barrier between me and God, this impossibly high hurdle that nothing could get rid of. And so fast forward five years to this conference, and I'm sitting there feeling pretty hopeless and somebody kind just came and prayed, prayed with me. I didn't reveal too much about what was going on. I didn't sort of say too much. But this, as this person prayed, he said, whatever you've done in your past, I think God is saying he's already forgiven you for it. He forgave you ages ago. You don't have to keep coming back asking again and again. I can't describe to you the joy that I felt in that moment, this weight that was just lifted off my shoulders. I had a future that was full of joy about God's love for me, not full of fear about the consequences of what I'd done. I love this phrase from the writer Dane Ortland. He says, The things about you that make you cringe most make him hug hardest. The things about you that make you cringe most make him hug hardest. Everything shameful you've ever done, everything that keeps you awake at night, every thought from a place of jealousy, every word spoken from a place of wounding, every act done from a place of selfishness, it's our majesty's pleasure to pay the cost of. Because the same king who flattens mountains and fills in valleys, this same king, it says in verse 11 in the reading, Tends the flocks like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and he carries them close to his heart. And that's what the Bible tells, what the New Testament tells, what Jesus himself says, I am the good shepherd. He gathers us in like lambs, carries us close. We have a God who takes joy in forgiving us, who takes joy in coming to meet us in our pain. We have a God who is powerful to strip away every barrier, fight off every enemy, every hurdle, sin, selfishness, sickness, shame, because he will let nothing stop us having the chance to be in relationship with him today. And if you want to know that God, as Will mentioned, there's an opportunity to explore that. Uh, From next January on the 23rd, come to Alpha. Come and ask questions about the God who wants to hug you close, who wants to hold you close and forgive everything shameful you ever feel you've done. Who flattens mountains to give you a massive hug. So, your past can be restored. Your present can be reclaimed. And that means that your future can be rejoicing. Later on in the Bible, in the book of Hebrews, the writer says about Jesus, For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For the joy set before him. Friends, we are that joy. You are that joy. It's Jesus' joy to bring us into friendship with him now and forever, even after we die. You know, it's friendship now, but it's eternal life. We have a future that is full of rejoicing. You have a God who doesn't make you jump over hurdles for you to get to him. You have a God who sweeps the hurdles away for him to get to you. He loves you enough to restore your past. He is powerful enough to reclaim your present. And he wants nothing more than to give you a future where you can rejoice this morning. Will you say yes to him? Amen.